Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who gather each week to be an inquiry and dialogue on living the spiritual life. We're all on the spiritual path, growing in our understanding of ourselves and others, and moving from being complainers to being empowered to simply being. We know that we can't change the world unless we change ourselves. Welcome to the forum. Welcome to the Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm very excited that you all are here. I'm here with Reverend Richard Carlini, and Richard is an ordained unity minister, a registered nurse, and a hospice administrator. He's been privileged to be present with hundreds of people during their dying process. Richard is here with me today to talk about death, the crucial subjects of grief and loss, which touch each of us during our lifetime, rarely receive the attention they deserve. Today, we invite you on a journey to discover strategies to cope with grief, learn from it, and integrate it into your being. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I also need to mention that Richard and I go way back, <laughs> way back. And I, I think it was when we were, I think it was in the professional development program That's of what it, uh, becoming a yes, licensed teacher. That is what yes. it was called then. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. we, we became licensed unit teachers together, I think. Yes. I never made it as a licensed unit teacher. I went to uh, okay, then we graduate from the professional development or personal development, personal development program yes. at Unity Village. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Great. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Anyway, that was that was way back, a long time ago, two thousand six or five or something. No, like the nineties, Carol. We met oh, the in 90s. the nineties. <laughs> yes. Oh my okay. gosh, we met in the nineties. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I need to get my big hair going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is going to be a very fluid conversation since we're friends. Um, now, Richard, I know you, you're uh, a unity minister, and you seem to have like a focus on the topic of death and dying and grief and, um, and all of that. I thought I'd just ask you first that uh, how do you, I mean, how do you define death? What do you think death is? Because I think our society is, has such a a fear of dying. And I think you, you could kind of see that, I think, during this last COVID thing. And, you know, what, how do we embrace death? What is death? I just would like to hear your whole take on it. My whole take on it. Well, you know, being that we're both unity, um, I have a new thought perspective on it, which has brought peace of mind to me, which is where my faith is, lies, and where my beliefs lie. And I think that's important to say at the beginning, because no matter what your take on death or dying is, or death particularly, it should be based on your beliefs and faith, right? And so I believe that I'm a spiritual being and I'm having a human experience and I'm in a body. I'm in a vessel. I was born into it. I was birthed into it. And I say it that way because I think it's important to remember that we're birthed into this human experience and we leave the human experience, we leave the body, we go back to being a spiritual being. And so as we go out of this spirit, this human experience, we're sort of birthed out of it, we're birthed back into our, our spiritual being. And, and I think we should give as much attention to that leaving our human experience as we do to coming into it. You know, so Margaret Mead once said something like, when, when we're born, we jubilate. When we're married, we, we celebrate. And when we die, we run and hide in a corner. Yes, yes. And I, absolutely. And you said the reason in your introduction of me is that un, untalked about topic. Uh, and I think in, in from all the conversations I've been having, especially on my, my podcast, uh, The Healing Power of Grief, during the, um, during the shelter at home and the, and the pandemic and all of the other things that took place during that time, hearing about grief um, and listening to it and all the different kinds of grief that go on really brought it to my awareness that there, not only do we have the grief of people leaving this human experience, but we have a lot of other grief going on. 
And so it's a, you know, let's separate when we talk the topics of death and dying and then grief and maybe go from one yes. to another. Yeah, I, I get that because we there we have so many endings that happen in the world that happen in our lives and that also happen in the, you know, geopolitical realm. So, you know, there's endings all over the place. And and I, I agree that kind of, there is a grief. There's a grieving process that we would go through for every ending that we have, which is, I, I think is maybe similar in process, but probably distinctly different from how we would grieve uh, a death. Similar process, but distinctly different. Each grieving situation, I think, is distinctly different depending on what it, what the trauma was that started the grief process into motion. And varying degrees of trauma from the loss of a, uh, the physical presence of a person to losing a job, to losing your income, to to losing your way of life, <laughs> to finding yeah. a new way of life, to uh, uh, and all sorts of losses in the geopolitical world from all kinds of, of different perspectives. And so when you when you take all those and roll them in, roll in together, we've all had to put a lot of grief on the shelf and selectively pull it out to work on it and decide, make some, you know, really decide what do we have to work on now? What can we process? And maybe we can't process it all. Let's process some of it and put it back on the shelf. And something else came up that we need to pull out or, or, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we talked about uh, on the radio show during the pandemic was when the first wave of the pandemic hit and loved ones were leaving homes in the back of ambulances and families never saw them again. And they died in the hospital or nursing home and families never got to see them. They never got to see families. And, and thank God for hospital staff that was pulling up FaceTime and, and Zoom meetings. And, and so people could talk and, and have a little bit of process. So we've got multiple grief. Yeah, and I, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm feeling the grief coming up in me. Uh, you know, I, I, um, people have heard this story before, so I'll be brief. But uh, my father passed in 2020, in January 30, 30th, 2020, mm. right before the pandemic. And I was down in Houston, you know, taking care of him, but I was staying in a hotel. And he died when I was not there. And I was very upset because the staff at this um, care center didn't call me. And so I have a lot of grief over his passing, but I have a lot of uh, grief over my, my not being there, you know, not, my not, not serving him in that capacity and just anger at them for not, you know, not doing their due diligence and calling the relative that was in town. So that's another that there's layers of grief, you know, there is that came up for me as you were talking. But let's talk about that for a minute, okay. because those are two really situations that we've all can relate to in a way. And, and first of all, I want to say to you that if possible, let go of the grief about not being there. You know, sometimes, well, it's one of those cases when I have to claim call on divine order because we're not the only one that's involved in that process. And sometimes people want to be alone when they're making that transition. And so yeah, and I, I am I am grateful that there was a caregiver named Carrie who really was his person during that time. And she had such a profound spiritual, religious experience. She said the whole room felt it was full of love and light. And she had that experience. And I'm really glad she was there for him. I think that... When it comes up for me is whenever I hear people talk about, oh, my mother, aunt, uncle, grandpa, whatever, passed peacefully and the whole family was there surrounding them. It's when, it's when I hear that <laughs> that I get triggered. Otherwise, in regular life, I'm pretty, pretty okay. But then when I hear, oh, my gosh, that, that, so here's something to talk about. In my mind, that's the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's the thought that that's the way it's supposed to go. And you feel guilty because that's not how it, it, it didn't go that way. And that's how yes. it's supposed to go. So it's yes. not about your dad at all. It's about, and, I, and I'm not picking on you, of course, but it's no, about it's our guilt feeling about right. the story that we right. have in our mind about the way it's supposed to go. And right. we, we have to begin to let go of those stories. And we've right. got a lot of stories in America. And, and I, I want to relate it to America because it's our culture that has all this taboo about death and dying and grieving. I mean, Carol, when you were younger, did anybody ever sit you down and say, well, today we're going to talk about death, dying and grieving? And No. No. And, and if I ask an audience of 500, maybe one will say yes, but not likely. So we don't have... Uh, it's like sex education was, you know, oh, well, let me buy you a book. <laughs> you know, when I was 13, my, not my father, but my mother bought me a book, you know, on everything a boy should know. Well, yeah. uh, up until recently, there haven't been a lot of books out there about what a boy or girl should know about death, dying and grieving. Right. You know, I wanted to address um, about the, your anger. And I think that that's okay to be angry at that care staff. Anger is a natural part of the grieving process. It's, and we, we can use that anger, not for a long time, but until we're ready to forgive that care staff, so to speak, to, to say, all right, it wasn't intentional. There were 28 other things going on. You didn't want to wake me up in the middle of the night. I don't know, but, uh, little story. My mother has been dead now for 30 years. I was her caregiver and towards the end of her life, she was in and out of the hospital multiple times. She was never, as I recall, a happy woman, especially not after my father died. Those 10 years of her life were not happy. And she made that known. And That's just the way that it was. And I had been, I finally had to put my mother in a care home and, uh, or ask my mother to go in the care home. And she finally agreed, even though she didn't want to, and, and, and had a story in her own mind that she'd be coming home back to her home, Mm -hmm. but that was okay at the time. Well, I went over to see her this morning and I knew that she was in the dying process because she she had decided she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to eat. She quit taking her medications and care home called me and said, oh, Mrs. Carlini, Georgia, she won't take her medications. And I said, that's up to her. That's up to Mm -hmm. her. Well, the morning I saw her and came home and at one o'clock I got a call. Mrs. Carlini, Georgia is not breathing. (laughs) nurse for 46 years, nurse for 36 years at the time said, should I come over? I mean, yeah, of course I should come over, but it was my mother. It it didn't, she stopped breathing. So a trauma. I'm in shock and denial. I I didn't want to, should I come over? (laughs) Right. I get that. You're in a different role as a son than as a nurse. (laughs) Yes. And that's so important to remember to be who you are when, when you, when you're, going through the dying process with somebody, you have to almost give up that caregiver role and become the son or daughter or spouse or loved one that you are. But I wanted to finish with that story because when I finally got there, yes, Mrs. Carlini Georgia had died, but Mrs. Carlini Georgia looked the most peaceful. I had seen her look in years. And I found myself at peace with the fact that I wasn't there, that she looked so peaceful and that it was over and that it was over for her. I felt so bad for her going in and out of the hospital and all that trauma. So, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, you and I both have a lot to look at and we all have a lot to look at when a physical presence leaves this human experience. And so, you know, why do we not want to talk about it? Why, why is it a taboo topic in this country when other company, countries, you know, honor it and honor the elderly? Well, we're afraid. 
We're just mm -hmm. afraid because we don't know. You know, no one has come back from anywhere and told me what it was. So what I uh, am doing is in reality, and let's leave dogma and religion behind, but, and look spiritually, what I'm doing is creating a safe place in my mind for whatever I believe it is after death. And so perhaps I believe that the body is taken up to heaven and, and sits there and has a peaceful life playing a harpsichord. Um, as long as I believe something, it mm -hmm. gives me peace because I don't know. And so, you know, I think we've developed stories, our culture, our tribe, depending on our tribe. And when you look back and look at the creation stories that different tribes have created, when you look back at the afterlife or the death stories that different cultures have created, when you look back at the stories about why the sun goes up and comes down before we process that scientifically, we have all kinds of stories about it that brought us peace. And so how do we find peace in this human experience? I think, um, you know, philosophically, spiritually, we're given all the tools to find peace in this human experience. And we have to find peace about our own death. Dying also, but I want to say dying is different than the, the actual death because we fear them both differently. Uh, we fear the dying process as a painful process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my good friend and end of life specialist, Barbara Carnes at bkbooks.com says that dying isn't painful. Dis-ease is painful. And so the dis-ease in the human okay. experience is what's painful. And the, it can look like the dying, that the, the dying is painful, but it's actually the disease. And so as a hospice nurse, my job was to provide quality of life and to relieve symptoms of pain and, or, or symptoms that went along with the disease to help the dying process be more comfortable. Mm. And I could do that by, a various, by various ways, uh, through talking, through meditation, through prayer, through medication as well, to relieve pain. You know, there's the classic story, Carol, uh, of the two ladies in the neighborhood talking and Mary's over at Joanne's house and Joanna's telling Mary, oh, my mom is not doing well and I'm going to put her, have to put her on hospice. And Mary says, oh, as soon as I brought hospice in, they gave her morphine and she died. They killed her. And Joanne said, oh, I better not get hospice. When really what hospice did, they didn't kill her. She was trying to die. She was right. going through the die. She was trying to die, but she was having too much pain. She was yeah. having too much pain. She was, she needed to have the pain be removed so that she could relax. And just like a baby being born that needs a little help. Yeah. Come on, yeah. let's go. Come <laughs> on, you know. Oh, you got to take that first breath. Crack. Okay. Well, let me, let me relieve that pain so we can honor the dying process. It's part of, you know, Carol, soon as we get that and take that first breath, the last breath is coming. It, it's, it's inevitable. And so we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and if, right. we, if we would. Yeah, we don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, if we would, it would be so much easier. It, 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 uh, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say is, I mean, culturally, we are obsessed with the youth, <laughs> and we are we are obsessed with you know living forever, and and you know we we see we see people as they age kind of being put away versus being put in the center of the family or in the center of 
anything, movies or anything. It's like, you know, let's, you get old, you, you get moved away, or you try to take something that's going to, you know, give you eternal life here on the earth. Um, so I think culturally, we just don't have a good uh, relationship with age and the wisdom we have with age and, and then dying, of course, along with that. So you know, you, when, when did that ahead. happen? Yeah, I mean, when did that happen? Do you know? I mean, I, I think it was different from my grandmother's era, um, yes. my great grandma's era. I think that was different because I know that, I know that like my, my, my dad would tell a story that during the depression, you know, they had all these relatives come and live with them and auntie so-and-so and grandma so you know, and, and there was, uh, there was a more, a different kind of family unit, I think that happened. And I, I, I think maybe the nuclear family, maybe also all of this Hollywood stuff, <laughs> models and, you know, just this worship of the youth, you know, I mean, I'm always like, you know, it, it's hard to not, oh my gosh, look at my neck or look at this, you know, we do these things <laughs> because we've decided that beauty is youth. And, and yet, you know, when we see a photograph of uh, like a black and white photograph of like a Native American uh, elder or something with all of those wrinkles. And I remember when I was in Peru, I saw these old people with all of these wrinkles. And oh my gosh, they were so beautiful. It was something that was something really to be honored. And it's something that our culture doesn't do. No, no. And, and I think, you know, I think back to the 50s and the 50s uh, and the 60s, I think, are where we began to see a transition period. And one of the things that we've been talking about in my ministry at the end of life class is because I've got in, in this one class, I, I well, in all classes, I have a wide age group, okay, which is really interesting from an instructor perspective. And one of the things I'm noticing is, is that today in 20, 22, yes, 2022, I'm dealing with six different generations, perhaps five or six different generations. And I'm talking about, you know, generations defined by different geopolitical existential beliefs at the time that they were born and moving forward. So when we were thinking about uh, families being a nuclear unit, we had those wars and, and illness. I mean, when you think about, uh, well, I graduated, <laughs> I graduated from nursing school in 1974. And that was probably uh, really when modern nursing was just getting its start, getting mm -hmm. really into being modern nursing, going from being, uh, a female profession in long white dresses and caps that were so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were always flying everywhere. <laughs> um, but now we have these different generations. And well, I had a 27 year old in my class and we were talking about what you and I started talking about, about, the fear, the taboo topic of death, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she's 27. She said, I don't know what you guys are talking about, about being afraid to talk about death. My generation is talking about it all the time. We have oh. to. The pandemic, uh, 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 just teenage suicide. Oh, yes. Right. My right. goodness. Oh. And, and yes. Yes. And we haven't really even begun to gather data on that, to find out what the real underlying cause of this is. And you talk about Bollywood or Hollywood, what about social media? Right. You know, I spend half a class in my, in my ministry class talking about grieving in social media because that's become a way of life to express our grief in social media. I have a friend who was a minister that was a hospice chaplain for years. I don't know. You may have even known her. She was on Facebook. I'm going to say her name, may I? Because I don't think she would mind. Okay. Reverend Linda Sedell. She just okay. passed, away, passed away on March the 29th. Long obituary on Facebook. She shared her dying process from pancreatic cancer 
on Facebook. She had well over, you know, thousands of Facebook friends and she shared that process. And it was such a, a wonderful experience. I find myself laughing with her and crying with her and, and healing with her because she was so open and willing to talk about it and talk about her fear and talk about not just her fear, but her healing her fear and how she healed her fear. She did going on hospice because to her that meant she was going to really move quickly through the dying process more quickly than she had been willing to move through it. And when she made the decision to go on hospice, she could tell that she had made peace mm -hmm. with herself and was ready to, to go through that ending of the human experience. And so, you know, it wasn't that it was an experience that they made a movie about. It wasn't an experience that we did that we saw actor, you know, that we saw mm -hmm. a documentary on afterwards. It was happening in real time. Right. And is that is her Facebook page still up with all with that? Yes. Do you know? Because I'd like to put a link to that in the show notes. Yes. Uh, this uh, podcast. Let me, I'll send it to you. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, something else came up for me. This is going to be my own therapy session, I think. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I, um, th there's there's one thing about coming to terms with a death that we know about. We have a diagnosis. There's a, you know, there's a process. We're aware of it. We're going through it. You know, our loved ones all know about it. And then there are these other ones, like you mentioned, the overdoses or the suicides. Or I have a, a niece who passed, and we still don't know her cause of death. And she was 26 years old, and she passed the day before her dad dad's birthday. And I, it was not it was not suicide. It was not external anything. And they never it's it's unknown. And the family is just left with. I mean, we're all just kind of left with. What, I, I it's hard. There's a hole there. There's a hole there, obviously, because she's no longer, her body's no longer here with us, and she was a very vibrant light. But then there's this question, how do we deal with things like that? Well, you know, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. um, when you say, how do we deal with things like that? Tell me where that comes from, the question of how do we deal with that? Where in, what are you feeling when you say that? Well, I think I think it comes from, you know, like when, what you, you want to you want to know. I think it comes from a, a, a desire to know, and it's similar to like when somebody is dies in combat or something, and people want to see the body. You know, there's there's a there's a, a a need to see to experience that to help process it. And I think I think there's something about cause of death that helps you, or knowing that that helps you process it. And, and perhaps you don't need to know that to process it, but it just feels like there's that's a tangible that's missing. And maybe it, it ultimately, I suppose it doesn't matter, but when it's young and unexpected, it, it seems so strange. And maybe it's also social because everybody asks you all the time. Well, and, and yes to all of those things, but really, and, I, and I, isn't it really part of processing grief? I mean not having the answer and, and having a hole in my heart missing that person really stops the process in a way. Uh, it's bargaining. Well, maybe I'll mm -hmm. let her go completely when I know what the cause of death was. Mm -hmm. Or it's denial still. And that's okay because it's shocking. Mm -hmm. It's shocking. And, you know, we use the word denial you know, we've got all these puns, denial's not a river, uh, you know, a river. And, uh, uh, but denial, if we go back to our basic psychology, is a healthy defense mechanism that we use until uh, we're ready. And so, you know, let's talk about acceptance for a moment, okay? Because that's jumping to the end, but it's all, it, it's, it's where the process leads to. And what do we mean by acceptance? I don't think we ever totally accept or, or 
Well, she died. Okay. I mean, but where we need to get to is that, no, it's not okay that she's gone. I don't want her to be gone, but I'm going to be okay with the fact that she's gone. I can go on in my life. Okay. I can go on. And so that grief process, you know, we talk about the onion. Grief doesn't ever go away. Uh, God knows my mother's, uh, the grief about my mother comes up and that was 30 years ago, you know, just telling you the story. I'm going to be thinking about it all day Mm. and and I'll have some more to process about it. Thank God I've gotten over the guilt of of having her needing to go to a care home that lasted for 20 years out of the Mm. 30, you know? Mm. So hear that, that lasted for 20 years out of the 30. I needed to feel guilty, I guess, for 20 years. (laughs) As part of your process. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Richard, for feeling guilty for 20 years, you see. So how long do we need to wait to know? If we don't know, is there ever going to be a time when we will know? I I don't know the answer to that, why she died, okay? Mm -hmm. But we may hold on to that need to know as we process it, as we move through that grief of our story of, oh, why did somebody so young die? Mm-hmm. When, when the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know any of us when we take that first breath, when the last one will be or how. Right. We don't. Yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's life. <laughs> yeah. Let's spend some time really getting existential angst over that this morning. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking it might be worthwhile for you to briefly uh, take us through the stages of grief in case there's people who are listening who really aren't attuned to that. Well, sure. Now I, here's what I say about the stages of. Okay. Kubler-Ross, who uh, wrote the book on death and dying, uh, Back when I was graduating from nursing school. (laughs) It was a long time ago. Yes. (laughs) I saw her do a presentation on it while I was in nursing school. I was thrilled because it was really, we didn't even talk about death and dying in in nursing school. It was kind of taboo to talk about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, then somebody down the hall died. Oh, And so, you know, she interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people in the dying process and came out with these stages. And what I say to my students is, students, we're going to use this Kubler-Ross model. And now there's On Grief and Grieving, the book by Kubler-Ross and David Kessler. And there are many, many other grief models, companioning model, uh, many, many, many other grief models. And I say that if you get the basics of the Kubler-Ross model down, they're all translatable and you can pick your own grief model. But, you know, let's first differentiate trauma and grief because they are different. Trauma is the incident that begins the grieving process. Let's leave death for a minute and you know, I call you into my office, say, girl, you're terminated. Your employment here is terminated. And uh, here's your final check. Goodbye. That's a trauma. That's trauma. <laughs> yeah. Unless you've been wanting that to happen, then you're, you're happy. But that's trauma. Okay. On many levels. How do I tell my family? Uh, how am I going to pay my bills? Um, uh, what does it mean about me? Yes. What does it I'm worthless. I've yes. just been fired, you know? Yeah. And so there's a trauma there and we start a grieving process and Kubler-Ross and I want to be clear that this is not a linear process by any means. Yes. It, I understand it, that. It's yeah. everybody does it individually, but there's shock and denial. Your father's dead. <gasps> oh, no, I just saw my, my mother. I just saw her this morning. She was breathing. She was fine. No, no, it must be somebody else. Well, I'm shocked. I'm denying it. And, uh, and I'm bargaining too. It must be somebody else. And so we we just can't handle it. It's overwhelming. And that's okay because it is overwhelming. We have to put it in place. It's an ending. 
And we're thrown into a void almost immediately by it, you know. And who wants something new to start when you didn't want the end to end or the, the old one to end? <laughs> the end to end. <laughs> this kind of end to end, isn't it? <laughs> That's life. <laughs> and uh, so we have we we use the defense mechanism denial until we're ready. Until we're ready to deal with it, until we're ready to move forward. And then we talk about anger. And, you know, a lot of times we're angry at God and that's okay. Why did God take my husband? Why did God take my wife? What did he do? Why? What did I do? Why didn't God take me? Or, or, or they're, they're gone. So there is no God. Are, are there, yes, there is no God anymore. It's all. Yeah. If there was one, I wouldn't have had this loss. Well, that's, that's your story. That's your anger. Um, your anger. Why didn't the care center call me? My goodness, I wanted I wanted to be there. And as soon as you can let go of that, I wanted to be there. And I'm not asking you to hurry that process by any means. Then it moves on to a different, that anger goes away. And sometimes in the midst of grief, anger is the only tangible thing we have to hold on to really, that our life is in such an uproar. I can't imagine. He went out for milk and he was in a car accident and never came home. I, my life, I can't go on. Uh, that guy that hit him head on. Oh, I'm so angry at him. That's all I can hold on to because my life has changed so much. And as I move through it, as I do forgiveness work, as I accept it, as I realize that I can go on, as I be begin to be grateful for the time that I did have this person in my life and for all the things I learned. Gratitude is such a good cure for anger that I can also go into bargaining. Uh, the doctor, I go in to see the doctor and the doctor says, well, Richard, your lab test came back and I want to confirm that it is cancer. No, those must be the, the wrong lab tests. They have to be somebody else's. Let's check it again. Let's draw it again. Uh, if, oh God, if you'll just bring Mary back, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday and I'll leave a large donation while I'm there. Right. Yes, yeah. just bring, if you'll bring Mary back, I'll do this, you know, <laughs> bargaining. You know, it's, 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 it's a last-ditch effort, effort to, to, to not have to deal with going forward in this physical, in this human experience without that presence. And also, one of the things that's happening at the same time in my belief system is that I remember that through my grief, I remember about thought. And that person, that spiritual being is always with me. That yes. there is yeah. no separation that I'm one with the universe and all of the thoughts that ever have been are. And so I can be there and we can even have a conversation if we want to and feel good about it. Yes. You know, I, I have a good friend who's graduating from, and I'll go on to the last two steps, but she's graduating from the Urban Ministerial School. Her name is Sue Frederick. She wrote several books about you know talking with your loved one after they've left uh, the human experience. And she has a group of what she calls woo-woo moms of uh -huh. mothers who have lost their children. And uh, they talk with them and feel good uh -huh. about it. And, and it's woo-woo, right? And they call themselves the woo-woo moms. But it's, it's wonderful how they deal with it. Um, and so we all have our own way of going through it. And as we move through bargaining and anger and shock and denial, we can find ourselves going into depression. Yeah. And it can last various amounts of time, go up and down. We might need help getting through it. We might need therapeutic help. We might need spiritual help going through it. We might need antidepressants going through it to help us get past that point but we just are in the void. We just don't see any meaning. We've lost meaning. 
and we've got to find new meaning to our existence and perhaps find meaning in the loss of that other person. And as we begin looking back without the anger, without the shock and denial, we be we begin to remember the wonderful things. If there were wonderful things, maybe we let go of all the unwonderful things that we've been <laughs> holding on to, you know? There's a lot of different things you got to release. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a release of something. And, and it comes to mind what we need to release, you know? I love the grief. Um, and it's coming up too. I love the grief workshops on Mother's Day. You know, when you're not celebrating, yeah. you're grieving. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's okay. Let's talk yeah. about it and get it out there. It's okay to say you were grieving Mother's Day because of the way you were treated, you know? Right. Um, yeah. See, that goes back to the taboo stories that we've created in our minds. It's so far from the truth, that, but we create these stories and we perpetuate them. And then we have the nerve to tell them to others too. And then they take <laughs> it and change it and tell it their way to somebody else. And before you know it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, you know, we have to honor that time of depression. And yes. And, you know, oh, you ha you've, you've been staying in bed for a week. You've got to get out now. Oh, no, I don't. No, I'm going to stay for another week because I feel like it. But no, I'm not going to stay for six months or nine months or a year. It's not going to become chronic. You know, we look at grief and we look at acute grief and we look at chronic grief. And, and grief is normal grief, I'm going to call it, or, or allowing the grieving process to take place is what most of us do. And we, have, we do it our own way. Acute grief is when the grief is stuck. We're just so in grief that it becomes acute and we need, we need acute help. We might need hospitalization. We, 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 it's acute and we need some help until it moves past that stage. And chronic grief, and we've all seen this. We've seen it in our families, our friends. We feel bad for people. It is cyclical. It just goes over and over and over again. And it can go on for years and years mm. and years. My mother, my mother found no meaning in her own life after my father died. And we mm -hmm. see that so often. But in some cases, that's the story mm -hmm. that they grew up with. After 47 years of marriage, that's what it was about. After staying together through all those traumas for 47 years. <laughs> yeah. It's a Emily Thoreau Threat, T-H-R-E-A-T-T, writes a book, Living and Loving Your Way Through Grief. And she has a, a, a nonprofit called the Grief and Happiness Alliance. And she's lost two spouses that she loved very much. Oh, wow. Yes. And, and she talks about that. And she talks about finding happiness. And she shares that. And that's why she, you know, she started this uh, Happiness and Grief Alliance. Uh, I'm not sure I'm saying it right now. But this Happiness and Grief Alliance to promote going through grief and finding happiness at the same time and bringing happiness into the grief process and really honoring your grief process and, and move it, moving through it and, and not stopping living. You know, it's okay to stop that living for a short time, but the right. quicker you can get back to living. Yeah. Yeah. I always think that the, the best way to honor the those who have passed is to be fully alive. It's, you know, how else how else can we better honor them than we're here in, in these bodies? And if we die, our spirits die within the bodies, how are we honoring those that have passed? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not. We're not yeah. at all. We're we're dishonoring them. Um I personally, uh, forgive me, I might be a little controversial here, but I think we're dishonoring them by putting embalming fluid in them and uh -huh. put, laying them out in a casket for three days for people to come and walk by when, when the spirit is not there. 
I mean, that it's left that the, the and, and then we put this strange smelling stuff in to make them look like they don't even look. I, I remember when I was nine years old, all I knew was that grandma died. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Nobody told me. And the next thing I know, I'm in a funeral parlor. And there's this, there's this person that was my grandma that was looked like wax. And when uh -huh. I touched her hand. It's probably traumatizing. <laughs> uh, it was. I can yeah. still feel it. Yeah. I can still feel it. And you know how at a funeral home, how you walk by the casket and have a last look? That was happening. They know what that meant, the last look. I was oh. still sitting there and they were beginning the service in the back and my father had to come get me. I mean, I was just, uh, nobody told. They just left me be. Nobody oh, took my hand or anything and took me to the back room. They were in their own grief. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and instead of being together as a family, which some families can do, but as a Italian, the family of an Italian immigrant, we were stoic. You know, mm -hmm. we were, uh, don't cry. My mother told me that when my father died, don't cry. Oh, I would, wow. Yeah, uh, she was gonna cry, not me. And so, but we, we, you know, in America, Carol, don't you think we've just been brought up with so many stories? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you you highlight it in that way. We have all sorts of stories around how things should be done and how we're supposed to behave. It's interesting. I, I, I occurred to me. I've never actually seen an open casket. I've I've never had that experience, um, and I'm I'm a fairly seasoned person. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I've never heard it quite expressed that way. <laughs> I'm very seasoned, um, which brings me to another thought about uh, planning your own death. Uh, do you what? What are your thoughts on that? Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you asked me that. I want to encourage all of your listeners to plan not your death, but your yeah, your service and what you want to have done. You could plan your death if you want to, because there is. Assisted physician, assisted suicide, physician assisted dying these days. And uh, there's also, if you Google conscious dying, there's so much out there on, on being consciously a part of the dying experience today that it's wonderful. But I really want to encourage everyone to get advanced directives, to get uh, 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 a living will that talks about what you want in the dying process. Do you want cardiopulmonary resuscitation? Do you want a breathing tube? Do you want to be kept alive on a, on a ventilator? Hard questions, hard, hard questions that we don't like to think about, especially if we haven't been brought up to talk about it. But all of these documents, and they're usually by state, are available online. And I want to call your readers also to the attention of Five Wishes, fivewishes.org, fivewishes.org. And you can go through a process of five wishes. It, it walks you through what you want, what you want to have happen. Uh, do you want to have a, a, a memorial service? Do you want to have a funeral? How do you, what do you want done with your remains and the different options there? And thank goodness we have a lot of options today, including, you know, I live in California. We can go get wrapped up in a big leave and popped in a forest somewhere that they Yeah, the that. natural, there's a word, is it like a natural death, uh, burial or something where you're kind of wrapped in cloth? Yes, and, natural burial. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you're compost yeah. by and large. Yeah. Yes. And, and I find that rather appealing. Uh, <laughs> much yeah, more appealing than going into a fourth house and degree furnace, which I wouldn't yeah. know I was doing anyway. But, right. uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, by that point, there's no pain. It's just, you know, something's going to happen to that substance. 
that's been created as your body. And mm -hmm. uh, it's still going to be around somehow. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think I remember, uh, let me see, my friend Bill and Marianne. Bill was 96, Marianne is 70 something now. He, she married an older gentleman. He got ill and came home from the hospital. We, we knew it was the end at 96, the end of this human experience. And I got to sit down with Bill and go through a document that's, that Kaiser Health System puts out. Kaiser is a large health maintenance organization on the West, the first health maintenance organization. And this is a document that's like the five wishes. And I got to sit down with my friend Bill because he asked me to and go through what he wanted. And he wanted his memorial service. He'd been in San Francisco for years to be by the Bay. And he wanted old band music playing. Uh -huh. And we were... We were by the bay and it was a cold, foggy day in San Francisco. And there was old band music playing. And, and we knew Marianne knew what Bill wanted because he wrote it down. And she got to, as you said earlier, honor him by doing what he wanted. I remember doing an open casket funeral for a 16-year-old. And all of his favorites were in the casket with him. McDonald's, French fries, uh, a video game. Uh, you know, they were yeah. all there with him. And so that's what he wanted. It's probably a good idea for people to do this no matter what age they are. You know, I think that we think, we think, okay, I'll, I'll, get, I'll look at that when I'm in my 80s or 90s or something like that. But maybe we should all be looking at, no matter how old we are, what, what do we want? And you know, like uh, right now, I'm helping uh, my daughter's getting married in August, and they're gonna they they're they're planning their wedding with their caterers and their music and all of that. And you know, why not put together your own playlist for your celebration of life gathering or whatever it is that you want to have? Um, I did. I've done celebration of life gatherings um, both for my congregation, also for both my parents, where we just pass the mic and let people just talk about that. Actually, they they didn't even talk about the person. They just told stories about, yeah, and it, the storytelling is so beautiful. Yes. And I saw so many facets of my mother that I didn't know about, or so many facets of my father that I didn't know about, because, you know, like the gardener's talking or the hairdresser's talking, <laughs> and they, they know her more so differently than all the rest of us. My mother would never put down her cigarettes. She snaked them. And this one <laughs> woman at the celebration of life said, and she started crying. She said, and Richard, your mother would come down to my apartment for a cigarette and I'd give it to her. <laughs> she had to get that out. Yeah. <laughs> and we're and both sitting there crying and laughing at the same time. Yes. But we we yes. love our stories. Yeah. The stories are so beautiful to honor. And, and I think sometimes we do those, you know, somebody dies and there's a funeral like within three days and then, and then it's like over. It's like, well, you know, I, I really like the idea of let a few more months pass and maybe four or five months and then have another gathering and have this be a celebration gathering or, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed those or people are, their sadness is in a different place and now they're able to really tell the stories. Yes. Yes. We've gone through some of the grieving process. Mm -hmm. We've began to find meaning. We're mm -hmm. not a piece of rubble still in shock and denial. And you and we walk through the process and, and don't say anything about it. You know, someone takes an 80-year-old uh, man into the funeral home and says, pick a casket. If it hasn't been, you know, if you haven't sat down and talked about it, let's get matching caskets. And, and whatever, you know, yeah. um, and let's plan it together. It makes such a difference. You know, the woman I told you about on Facebook, she wrote a lengthy obituary, but it was her story. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it, it, it's just beautiful. And, and she talks about being a, a vice president of Crocker Bank, uh, which is no longer exists, but before she was a minister and a hospice chaplain, you know, and how that affected her ministry and how those experiences made her who she was to, 
today. As she was leaving this human experience, she got to write about that. And That's how beautiful. wonderful. Um, I wanted to say that on grief, oh, on grief and grieving, uh, I had that in my mind too, but in the fall, in October, uh, you know, Unity does two coming home to Unity retreats a year back at Unity Village. And the fall retreat, the coming home to Unity retreat in October is going to be, the title will be the spirit, the spiritual practice of grief. Mm. And so it, um, it, part of it is going to, uh, one of the workshops is going to be on storytelling, oh, getting nice. comfortable with your storytelling. And, and I mean, how did the, the book that we call the Bible of the Judeo-Christian faith come to be? It's all stories. <laughs> it's all stories yeah. Yeah. <laughs> passed on in the oral tradition. And so that's what we do in this human experience is pass on our stories. And we pass them on in writing. We pass them on in thoughts. We pass them on from person to person, from tribe to tribe. My goodness. Yeah, and we can I, we could create another story about death and dying. Yes. You know, we have a certain story that this is the end or this is a horrible thing or this is the way it's supposed to go or be, like we talked about earlier. And whereas in the beginning you shared your, you know, theological foundation where, you know, this is where you're a spiritual being, have a human experience, and it's like you're going on to a birth. I think the idea that dying the story that that dying is a birth process is is one worth telling or one worth beginning to get out there in the world. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And look what's happening in the conscious dying world. It, 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 the the whole advent of death doulas. Yes, and, and and there are classes and certification programs on being a death doula. As a hospice nurse, I I I, I was a death doula. it's such a beautiful, it's beautiful work. It's such loving work. It's, it's midwifery. It's birthing. It's allowing that birth back into the spiritual beingness. It's, it's, it's being there and celebrating the human experience that we've had it and that we made it through it for as long as we did. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. I did it. (laughs) You know, the the Buddhists, we we talk about it and we're, I know we're almost done here, Carol. Uh, I did a talk recently at my uh, ministry uh, on, uh, on impermanence and the Buddhist practice of practicing impermanence. And it's hard. It's hard. Yes. We, we, we have a hard concept with impermanence uh, and getting a new story together about that impermanence takes time and patience with ourselves. Because the, the old story and the stories that we've heard, the te- you know, keep popping in. And so we have to be able to stop them and get the new story out there. So I like your yes. idea of telling that. Yeah. So that's, the Eastern, the fusion of the Eastern ideas into the Western would be helpful to us, I think. Oh, yes. Celebrating our elders. Yeah. yeah. Now, our, that, now that we're elders. Yes. Of course we need to be celebrating, Carol. Absolutely. I didn't care about it when I was 40 but or 30, but now I certainly do. The older I get, the more celebrating your elders sounds like a good idea. Absolutely. <laughs> well, there is something about the wisdom of, of uh, being on the planet for a while. Um, so uh, is there anything else that we could talk about, about how to like normalize the conversation on death and dying in our culture and in our families? Because it's, you know, we've talked about all the, the whys and what it's like, but what, what can we do to normalize? Just start talking about it. I know you've done these things called death cafes. Do you well, want to talk about that at all? I was just going to mention that to you. You know, okay. I'm doing, I've started my own kind of uh, death cafe now. It's called Dialogue on Death and Dying. And okay. it's, it, it, it goes, it, it follows different uh, format than the death cafe. And death cafes have are very uh, directive in their format and for good reason. But 
Death cafes are a large movement. It's deathcafe.com. An international movement started over 15 years ago uh, by a gentleman in Great Britain who has himself passed away now, made his transition, but they're still carrying on. And death cafes are a gathering of people who've come together to talk about death and dying. Uh, And it's done in what they call it a cafe because, all right, let's have cake and coffee and talk about it. It makes it a little easier. We like to talk over a kitchen table. We can do that. And so what I do in my dialogue on death and dying is bring in some facilitators and experts and help the discussion come along a little more. The death cafes are more self self discussion. All right. But I would say go to a death cafe, begin to talk about it. Watch for a dialogue on death and dying and come to it. You know, I'll mention Barbara Carnes one more time. Barbara Carnes is a registered nurse. It's bkbooks.com. Her writing, she, she, she has a book, a little booklet. It's a little booklet. I call it the little blue book, but it's gone from my sight. And it talks about the dying process the days to weeks that are in the dying, the last days of the dying process and what we go through. And so by looking at material like that, that's easily understandable that we can relate to, you know, one of the, she talks about that sound that people can sometimes make when they're dying. We, we've called it, aren't we nice about it? We call it the death rattle, the death rattle. Yeah. Oh, mother has a death rattle. Except, oh, mother's mother's in the last phase of dying. And, you know, um, maybe if we turned her over on her side a little bit, some of that secretions would drop out, you know, because we know that this can happen, that death rattle, and they're not hurting. It's all part of the process. And so Barbara explains that. So the more we learn, the the more educated we get about truth, you know, about truth. Uh, You know, One other thing I'll say, I think we can look at the two models of, I'm gonna break it into two models of healthcare that we have in America today. There's the medical model and the holistic model. You get to choose whether you wanna do one or the other or a hybrid. And I think making a clear choice in that kind of denotes the road that you're gonna go down. And so, Look at what that means and then make a decision about the kind of care you want as you're approaching the end of this human experience and tell people, put it in writing, let your doctor know. Assert yourself. I know that we have cultures in this country that that isn't what they do and that's okay. Let's accept the culture for the culture and move through the culture. If my oldest son is going to make that decision, then my oldest son is going to make that decision and I'm comfortable with it and let's honor it. But be clear about it. Let's be clear about it. And let's love ourselves as we go through talking about it and getting clear about it. As we go through allowing ourselves to be birthed into this human experience and allowing ourselves to be birthed out of it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, that's wonderful. You've given us so many resources. I've written some of them down. I hope that I can get some of these links from you. Send me an email what you want. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll listen again because you mentioned a lot of books and authors and methodologies and whatnot. And I'd like to be able to provide that on the podcast page. Mm -hmm. And this is just, we're just, we've just dipped our toes into the water on death and dying. (laughs) It's a, it's a huge topic, but it was something that's been really missing in all of the topics that I've been in conversation with people on my podcast. And, you know, a whole nother thing I want to talk about another time is uh, I, I think so much fear of death is rooted in not having a relationship with God or the divine or the great mystery or whatever anybody wants to call that, that presence that, that brought everything into being and that sustains us and, and inspires us and guides us. When that is missing, it, 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 of living this moment 
and, and not existing, this idea of not existing is so terrifying to people. But you and I know that we do exist. <laughs> we just go into an, another, another way of being. And I think sometimes the death process is really hard for people because that's what they finally have to face, you know, and that those, those last moments they finally have to face that they are eternal, but that they hadn't been um, aware of that. So anyway, that's a whole nother topic. That um, is. And if you think you're going to hell when you leave this human experience, <laughs> you're even more afraid. <laughs> yeah, that's not the best belief to hold. <laughs> no. <laughs> Since we manifest our ideas. <laughs> of course, I'm not nervous. I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm going to where all my all my animals are. That's where I'm going. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Richard, thank you so much for generously sharing who you are and your ministry. And uh, we'll have you on again to finish this conversation or talk about another angle. Good to see you, Carol. Good to be with yeah, you. Yeah, good thank to see you, you too. Blessings. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about us, check out thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. We're a nonprofit corporation and depend solely on donations from people like you. If you find that you're benefiting from your listening, we encourage you to donate on our website, thespiritualforum.org. Our music is by Matt Nelson. Sound engineering is by Mark Jaschelski.